Hi, welcome back to another hour with Crowder with me, your host Crowder. Like, share, subscribe, and comment. And if you're already a subscriber, go ahead and ding the bell so that you get all of my latest podcast interviews. Today, we got another good-ass guest, Kylan Solomon. What's going on? That's such a, like, strong-ass name. Kylan Solomon. <laughs> Seems like you'll bust through the damn wall or something. It's not a political name, though. Yeah. Very <laughs> strong and black. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> or it could be, you know, uh, considered Caucasian. Really? Yeah. Kylan? Yeah. I would say a lot, of a lot of applications I apply for, they'd be like, oh, they, I expected you to be white. <laughs> Damn, that's fucked up. <laughs> the fact that they just said it like that. But um, tell us a little bit about what you do, because I know you, not personally, I don't want to like cloud chase like that, but <laughs> you know, like tell us a little bit about what you do. Uh, what What is it that we don't do? Um, right. So uh, initially what we do is uh, I, I'm the managing director of an organization called I'm Life, which is Individuals Making Living in the Full Effect. That is a... Uh, 501c3 nonprofit that focus on reentry. And so um, one of our main focuses is focusing on uh, those individuals who are coming home from prison or jail, helping to reestablish them and reassimilate them back into society. So that is one of the main focuses of what I do. But we also have um, a company, a for-profit company called Capital One Solutions, which is which is a full spectrum and a full scale marketing, graphic design, uh, videography uh, tax solutions, uh, business solutions, uh, small business really is for small entrepreneurs who need other members or other staff members. We support them as those other staff members so they can fully run their business effectively. So it's like the Walmart of like marketing. Correct. You just one-stop shop. You go in there, hey, the tax is done for the business. The marketing is done for the business. The management's done for the business, everything. Correct. Correct. Yeah. Okay. So- me and you, we had a little conversation as you was going over to the damn east side <laughs> about niches, niches and, and the market, the niche. It's a market mm -hmm. marketing tactic that you zero in on one audience. Why do you feel like that's so important? It's important to understand. It's, 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 it takes us even to where we are right now with this political race. You got to understand what your niche is. And once you find your niche, people begins to... Um, understand who you are and so you want to build a base around who you are what you are and what you do and until people understand that then you'll start serving the masses and you'll find yourself in a position whether it's t 10 days down the road 10 years down the road 10 months down the road whatever you want to look at it you'll find yourself lost and not excited about what you're doing anymore because now it's just i'm doing it for the clout or i'm doing it for you know, to stay relevant compared to there's an audience for everything that we want. Um, think about it. There, there's an audience for basket weaving, and that's just what they like to do. They like to basket weave. And so people who basket weave stick to that niche and people who want to learn or people who have an interest in that flock to them. And that's the idea. You don't want to be uh, the flies. You really want to be the shit. <laughs> <laughs> That's an interesting way to put it because I go on the opposite of that realm. Mm -hmm. I want to be like like your company is the one-stop shop. Mm -hmm. I want to be the one-stop shop for podcasting. I want to talk about everything with everybody all the time. I don't want to talk about just gay stuff. I don't want to talk about just politics. I don't want to talk about just MMA. I want to talk about everything because I'm interested in everything. So where does a person like me fall and try to find a niche at? 
because I have no niche. It's just me talking to everybody about everything. So you're you're what we call a, a, a conversationalist. You're a generalist. And so being a generalist and being a conversationalist isn't a bad thing. That's a niche. So the niche is necessarily your podcast is a podcast for the entire family. So, hey, I may have to give you warning this week. <laughs> it may be a little <laughs> raw, but overall, you have to get, remind them that, hey, this is a podcast for everybody. So, you know, we may have a story time for the kids. You know, we may have a, a talk, uh, that ha- that hard conversation that you're having with your son or daughter about, you know, their, their lifestyle. We may have that conversation or you want to start a business. We may have that conversation. If you just want to vent and talk about how much you hate your spouse, we may have that conversation. And yeah. so actually, that's a niche. It's general uh, table talk. I, I would actually even go so far as to say it's uh, it's almost better than Jada Pickett in the red table. Yeah. So that's why I like her a lot. I, I watch her podcast um, because she, well, I mean, she's kind of in a niche. She talks about a lot of family stuff, yeah. you know, what goes on in her family, what went on in her family, stuff like that. So she's kind of in that general niche of something. But um, I really took a lot of what I like to do and talk about from Joe Rogan. I see that he's a conversationalist, you said? Yes. He talks about everything, and that's why I tune into his show because, like, yeah, it might be MMA this week, but he has a lot of scientists on there, a lot of um, technicians on there, a lot of geography people on there that, like, do that type of stuff. And I'm interested in all that, and that's where I really flopped towards because I was like, why do I only have to talk about gay stuff? That was the first thing that somebody said. Oh, so this is going to be like the gay Oprah. Are you going to be like Ellen? No, I'm just going <laughs> to be like me. And I like talking about everything. So, and then they was like, oh, well, you know, I don't know. You should find something. That's what everybody keeps saying. Find something. Find one thing to talk about every week. And I'm like, nah, I don't want to do that. But I see that that does numbers, though. That little one thing that you talk about every week, that that gets numbers, bro. So it's almost like... um. Think of it like a TV show. So a good TV show, um, I just finished watching, what is it, The Power Book 2, The Power Thing. So The Power kind of gives you an idea of it's it's a story with multiple stories inside of it. And most newscasts, most radio, you know, I came from working in radio and television. And most of the time when you get on the air, your producer or someone gives you a topic and be like, hey, this is today's topic or this is the topic for the week. We're going to talk about relationship stuff, but all week long we're going to divvy this up and talk about different things that happen in relationships. So this week or this month is relationship topics. And you spend a whole month talking about those things compared to, you know, you get five or ten minutes on the air to talk about maybe something political, maybe something that you like, personally like. Uh, The ideal of it is, is there's a niche for it that finding that niche, that's what people want you to be and people want to box you in. But the, the hardest thing to do is also work outside the box. And so you have to work a little bit harder. You have to work a little bit smarter to, to have people gravitate to that. It's it's a interesting term that we use in marketing. It's called cliche marketing. Um, Walmart, if a lot of people don't remember, Walmart um, was either a grocery store in some cities or it was just a family store that you would go pick up uh, household items. It wasn't until they expanded and, and started making them supermarkets or super Walmarts yeah. that you were getting both. I remember uh, from I was I'm from Arkansas where Walmart started. Um, 
I remember on Arkansas Boulevard, our Walmart for the longest was just a Walmart. You couldn't get groceries there. You had to go down the street to County Market or across the street to Aberson's to get groceries. And so when Walmart became that store that now they sell groceries and everything, look, they set the trend then a couple of years ago, turning them into super Walmarts. Now, Almost every small convenience store has a grocery section. If you haven't noticed it, Family Dollar, they have a couple of sections in there that you can buy some groceries. And I, honestly and truthfully, sometimes their groceries is is real competitive. Like you, you can go in there and buy a, a bag of, what is it, um, family uh, grilled chicken and stuff like that yeah. for like four 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 something. And Walmart, you're spending six or seven something. So... Walmart started a trend and it just it takes time for people to understand what that trend is or understand, hey, I can get everything we need. Now you look at uh stores like what is it, just a dollar or yeah, the ninety nine yeah, ninety nine stuff. Yeah, and it's like, hey, I can go in there and I can get cleaning products, I can get, you know, some basic deodorant, I can get, you know, two little slap two little packs of meat instead of buying a full pack of meat. Yeah, I can just yeah. buy two single packs and I can get everything for about twenty dollars and I'm I'm back out and I'm back at home. Yeah, that is one of the things that I do, like, get a little scared about is being before the trend. You know, if you, we've seen a lot of people that's before the trend. Kanye, he's one of the people that's before the trend a lot of the times. And then just a whole bunch of kids kind of pick up on it and kind of do it. And then they go out and start doing that sound or that thing. And then us older people are like, wait a minute, that ain't the first person that did that. I remember back then, yeah. but they never get that credit for that. And that's one of the things that I do get a little scared about doing this is that I'm going into a different realm of podcast. I'm not the first one, but I'm one of those little kids that's like, okay, let me do this this way. Instead of having a podcast about just gay stuff all week or just politics all week, I want to talk about everything every week about whatever, you know? And like you said, people don't pick up on that right off the bat they just kind of be like i don't know what this is about i don't know what this is i can't put it in a box so i'm just gonna go to the boxes that i'm used to and then before you know it somebody either picks up on the idea that has more clout than me and they take off and i'm like wait a minute i was doing that shit first and y'all didn't y'all didn't pick up on it <laughs> I would say it's it's always a, it's it's a difference when being a trendsetter. Uh, it's when we when we talk about like the music world in general, you think about uh, individuals. It's called influencers, and so someone has to be an influencer for someone else to do it. We look at um, I look at things from Michael Jackson to Prince and all of these guys. Uh, Prince would come out wearing lipstick and bell bottoms and heels and things of that nature, dancing on stage. Michael Jackson though was uh, just chilling, dancing and doing all these things on stage. And at the time, people was like, oh, it's, it's neat. I like it. But on the flip side, it was like, ah, why is he doing these things? But he was a trendsetter that... Again, you say those kids or those people who were coming up behind him seeing these things and they were intrigued by it and they was like, Oh, I, I can do this. I can I can flip the mic and catch it again and ooh, and now you have ushers. You have um um what is it? Uh, Bruno Mars. You have all these different people now that years later they're doing the exact same thing that Michael Jackson seen James Brown do. Yeah, yeah, that's that's who really started doing all that crazy ass dancing. Yeah. It was James Brown, and then who was it that Billy Billy somebody 
that did the moonwalk. He was yeah. actually the first one that did the moonwalk, not Michael Jackson. And so it's it's one of them things that it's not about necessarily having the clout, but it's about how often can we see, how often is it put in front of people? The one thing I've learned about people, and it's not it's nothing negative about us as a culture, but we can hear a song for the first time and we'll be like, ah, it's okay. And we won't gravitate to it. Or we'll be like, oh, I like it and it's cool, but we won't gravitate to it. But as soon as two or three radio stations is playing it all day, every day, oh, this is my jam. I'll be like, hey, you know, it came up on Apple Music three months ago and you listen to it, you know, as a new artist or as new music. And you was like, oh, it's cool, but, you know, it just don't have that. And now that everyone is doing it, it's, oh, it's the hottest song in the world. Yeah, or as soon as, like, someone that's, like, like you said, like, that has, like, a little clout gets on it or starts doing it, then, like, now it's big. But, yeah, that's one thing that I do, like, worry about. The other question that I have is, like, so you work in, you know, the realm of radio station. How can we change the narrative of black television from going to, like, this, like, yeah, girl, like, kind of ghetto type of feel into intellectual conversation like because all the podcast and all the radio and all the whatever I see is just always like the stereotypical black people doing stuff I never see like intelligent conversations going on except for like Nick Cannon class I like Nick Cannon class I like um Dr. Boyce Watkins I yeah. like Clyde Anderson's podcast but those aren't at the forefront of, you know, black television, black radio, black podcasts. I think even Charlemagne is doing something now. He got his own thing going on. Yes. <laughs> he laughed at that. We're going to get into that <laughs> later. Or we can get into it now. Uh, I would say it's it's a it's a deep-rooted issue that um, it's it's been ingrained in our culture. Like, um just as you're saying, I like to have those intelligent conversations. I like to, I like to inquire. Uh, I have a friend that uh, who's Hispanic, and I asked them. I was like, "Hey, why is it that you know the Hispanic culture look down on the African American culture?" And it's exactly what you're saying because TV has taught them, or even Africans when they come from Africa over here, TV has shown them that the African American culture or the Black culture here is that more urban style and none of us are educated. None of us are, you know, articulate. Uh, all of us are, you know, ghetto, pants sagging, baby making, chocolate individuals. Yeah. <laughs> I guess to be more politically correct. Yeah. Um, and that's what TV has predicted us as. And the crazy part is, is those who are not demonstrating that those who are not necessarily representing that culture we get called uncle toms we get called sellouts we get called you know trying to be white everything under the sun because we are displaying a level of intelligence that really uh demonstrates who the black community is and who demonstrates what the uh, minority community is cuz once we really start thinking about the backbones of this country once we not just this country but the backbones of our culture we are individuals who work hard i i i um in the midst of you know i used to teach school i used to tell people drug dealers are some of the smartest people you can ever meet because if you know how to count your money you know how to measure ounces and grams 
and keloids and all of this stuff to break down a product, you know, how much to mix into a product to make a product stretch, to make more money. You can't tell me that you're not mathematically inclined and okay. you're not mathematically smart. You're just applying that knowledge and that skill set, that business sense to a different area of your life that it's, it's, it's easier and conducive for you compared to just saying, hey, I'm going to do something that changed society. That's the hardest thing is trying to change society. Yeah. So how do you think we can do that in the entertainment realm as far as like, because radio is a big thing with black people. Radio. We love music. We we love it. Yeah. And, you know, like, how can we change that? How can we get to the point where we back in the early 80s where they was, you know, they did have the movement. I mean, what was my one of my favorite shows was Different World. Yeah. Cosby's um, show. What was another black intelligent um I mean, all of that, the Cosby's Living Single. Uh, Shout out to one of my frat brothers out there, Kyle, you know, was on Living Single. Yeah. So uh, definitely love those. Um, And they were showing us that you can be funny without it being, it can be entertaining without glasses being thrown and us fighting and all of that. And, you know, I just think back to those shows and then I look back to today. How did we go from Living Single where it was a, a, a nurse and a doctor and all of this and a oh, lawyer. Everybody then, was educated. Yeah, and then we get to Real House of um, Atlanta and everybody's throwing stuff. And I know that all that stuff is scripted, but it's like it's it's the it's the narrative. I think um, Tyler Perry said it best. There's a way to take back television, and it's to own it. And see, like, so Living Single was one of those shows that, you know, we had individuals who wrote it, they co-produced it. And at the time it was like, hey, you know, this is a way to show uh, minority families. Yet we never own those things. And so when you don't own it, then as they're continuing to writing the narrative for you, they determine how it ends. So those shows spiraled into Let's change it in time to give us something that's entertaining, a little bit more entertaining compared to those shows were entertaining. Those shows was educational. Exactly. Um, That's what we're missing from it is the educational point of view of it. Is that, yeah, it was some raunchy stuff going on there. What was the one that was always with another man or something? Ray Jean? Yeah. Yeah. Ray Jean, I mean, we get it. She was a scarlet. Yeah, so we get it. Like, and But she wasn't, like, having her ass all out and everything. It was very, ta- I guess she was a tasteful scarlet. Yeah. But, you know, it, it was still educational. What was the, the, the one that I remember the, um, the most is the who you calling a bitch one. Where Callan, his friends was there and his boss was like, bitch. And then Khadijah was like, who are you calling a bitch? And afterwards they played her song and the UNITY song. And I was yes. like, yeah, because that was an education. It was about monogamy in the industry. Yeah. How they, it don't matter what type of woman you are. He was dating Ray Jean. And Ray Jean was, she didn't have really a job like that. But Khadijah, she had like a pretty good job. She worked at a, like a high class magazine. So it didn't matter if like, like you was the top person of your magazine company. Men are still going to look at you like a bitch. And well, that see, was she the, didn't, she didn't work there. She owned yeah, the magazine. Okay. Yeah. She owned, yeah, she owned the magazine. Yes. Yeah, so, and so yeah. they, they, they taught us entrepreneurship in subliminal ways. I think the biggest thing is we have gotten to the point to where, and you know, I, I, I'm a Cardi B fan, so I don't want anybody to take this to as a negative thing. But when you have folks like Cardi B, Megan Thee Stallion, that we glorify 
um, the bitch word. We glorify wet ass pussy. We glorify these things because it's like, oh, it's fun. I mean, I, I listen to some females sometimes that when they greet each other, oh, what's up, bitch? And but if I was to turn around and call you that, it's a fight. Or if someone else was call you that, it's a fight. We have to set the standard. So radio, and, and again, it, it goes back to the initial conversation on initially setting that standard. Trendsetters are never liked, but trendsetters are respected within time. And so I would rather be a legend and be a legacy um, by setting the trend compared to necessarily a I'm just following what the times are. You know, a lot of people, you know, still go back to old school things. You know, I'm an old school marketing person. Uh, I believe in old school marketing. I believe in that, you know, you greet your customers, you shake your customer's hand, you send them a thank you card, you tell them thank you for their business, you ask them for the referral. Those are old school marketing tricks that honestly and truthfully, they just will never die. As much as we say, hey, uh, I, I'm looking around the country, you got Sears closing, Kmart closing, Macy's closing, JCPenney's closing, and everybody want to go to online shopping. It's not because of pandemic. It's necessarily because the customer service that's in the stores. Mm. When your customer service in the stores is horrible, then it pushes people to... I'm going to go online because I'm, now I don't have to interact with people. But you still have a generation of people, whether you're young or old. What's the number one thing you hate when you go to Walmart or Kroger's right now? People. People. <laughs> but what's the next thing you hate? Customer you, service. Really. You hate that there's no lines open yeah. and they want you to check yourself out. I don't know. I'm a fan of checking myself out. Honestly. You are? Yeah, a little bit. And, and I know the the um deeper root of it. It's like, you know, like. You know, I'm basically paying for groceries and y'all making me work all in this one setting. Yeah. But um, I'm just I just like it because it's like, you know, at the self-checkout, it kind of ain't no lines. Like you might like here in Arlington, that's, this shit crazy. But in Garland or Sunnyvale, it's like pretty quick. And I don't and it's just goes back to what you said. I don't have to interact with people. Like, I don't have to, like, say, hi, how you doing, blah, blah, blah. I could just ring up my stuff and go. And head out. Yeah. So the deeper route isn't the people because people will forever be here. That's the crazy part about it. Because even if you get stuck at the self-checkout line, a person got to come help you. Yeah. One of their yeah. workers got to come <laughs> help you. Ring and up that so, damn beer. And so the the, the, the deepest and the, the deep root issues is convenience. You mm. asked about what's the, what's the overall problem. And I, the minority community with radio is we want everything to be of convenience. Um, when we're programming radio stations, we're looking at clocks. So based on that clock, we say, OK, well, here in Texas and Dallas, people spend a little bit more time in the car getting to a location. So I can slide a few more things into. So I can give you two commercial breaks by the time you get to where you're going. I can give you two or three songs and they can come on and tell you something to try to make you continue to listen. Um, convenience is necessarily back in the day. If you wanted to listen to the radio, um, the convenience now is like, hey, it's on the Internet. So now you can go in your office and instead of you buying the radio, to have a radio playing in the background and things of that nature, you can do it on the computer. Yeah. Convenience. If we're making everything convenient, and so now it's 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 even it, it's even it's it's a deeper route than just radio. Everything is convenient. I don't have to spend time 
doing anything. That's relationship building. I don't have to spend time trying to market. You got places out there that, hey, if you give us $20, we'll broadcast your marketing stuff out to everybody. Quick spot marketing is what it's called. Or it's just, we'll throw it out there and see where it sticks. Convenience is compared to building a fan base, building a, a base of people who like you, that they want to follow you. The one thing I love about the old school, and, and, and this may be taking us back, but the one thing I love about like older musical artists, older radio artists is, you know, before Steve Harvey, you know, did all what he's doing, he had to build a fan base. So he had to work like crazy. I remember Steve Harvey did an interview one time where he was like, hey, I will, I will be in Chicago doing stand-up comedy. Then I'll have to catch a flight out and go to New York to be on the Apollo every night. Or, you know, I drove to New York in my car, slept in my car because I had to film the Apollo and then I would have to run over to the radio station to do a show. And so he had to build a fan base to now Steve Harvey is a household name yep. from the kids to, you know, my auntie, my auntie and uncle in their seventies and my auntie every day, Steve Harvey, watching the Steve <laughs> Harvey show or old school watching Steve Harvey. And then she'll turn around and watch him on the little, uh, family feud and things of that nature. So it's, it, relationship builds fan base and old school relationships and removing the convenience it builds a base to where you want to go where do you, how do you wait a minute how do marketers get those black shows back to the forefront of black tv it's it's reintroducing them so um I recently, maybe a year or two ago, you know, I, I got rid of cable. I was just not a cable fan. You just got rid of that shit. Yeah, was, what do you use now? I mean, I stream everything. So I do Roku um, or I just kind of watch internet TV. Plug, just bought a new internet TV station. More information coming soon. Follow us on uh, Capital One, spelled with the K, uh, Capital One.org www.capital1.org. Follow us there. We got a new internet TV station that's showing the old school black shows. Mm. So uh, family matters and things of that nature. I was saying all that to get us back to um, a couple of years ago. I got rid of cable. I was like, hey, I'm not doing this cable. So I became a fan of uh, the public library. And so I started going and, you know, they they show they have DVDs there. Yeah. So I was going and I was buying like Martin DVDs, sitting down, watching them, you know, falling asleep, watching Martin DVDs. My kids actually got hooked to Martin and they was like, man, you know, we didn't realize this show was this interesting and funny and it's 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 entertaining. It's necessarily putting those things back to the forefront. You know, there's nothing new under the sun. Um I was listening to a musical song the other day and he sampled like four or five old school songs. And I was in the car with a young person. And I was like, oh man, this song is a lick. And I'm like, bro, that song is four or five old songs that used to be the lick. Yeah. And so, you know, we look at Tory Lane, say it, say it is an older song. Yeah. Like you, they're sampling older music. And so to, to directly answer, how do we get back there? We get back there by, not sampling, but bringing it back. It's up to us to just bring it back and, and reintroduce it. Um, the the one thing we forget about, and again, it's convenience. Um, Thanksgiving dinner is always one of the best times in everybody's life, right? But it takes time to cook Thanksgiving dinner. It's not a convenient meal. It's not a quick meal. It takes time. It takes, you know, preparation. And so in order for us to get back to where we were is we got to stop moving so quick and take time 
and, and go back to preparing and, and preparation, bringing those shows back or necessarily bringing not spinoffs of those shows, but bringing content of those shows back. Yeah, that's where I'm more at because I get mad about reboots. I, I don't want to see like I, I grew up with Martin, so I don't want to see Martin no more. I want to see these younger kids putting that same content but now in the new age, I want to keep it going. I'm, I'm not interested in a spinoff. I'm not interested in you remaking it or rebooting it because leave these classics alone. Leave the classics alone. Make your own. That's, I think, how we move a little bit forward with it is, like you said, putting that content in new age now and the newer, the new generation doing the same thing that those old shows did. Because Different yeah. World was one of the shows that I I would say it's like the the top notch of like blackity black shows. <laughs> they was the epitome at, of black. Yeah, they was all black. They was all educated. They was all teachers black. They having black problems. Like every black person was there at that school. Yeah. Well, it 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 actually spiked the love for HBCUs, uh, which a lot of people. I would just say we're in a different time. So when I say spinoff, we're not in those times to where we're we're struggling with Brown versus Board of Education. We're struggling with those things, but we're not struggling with them in the in the content of what they were struggling with them in. Yeah. And so if we're gonna do a different world, it could be a different world part two. Because we're are we are in a different world right now. We're in a different world to where just politically speaking, we don't know how to Except, and I'm not saying we, including everybody, but it's like this world really, truly don't know how to accept the reality of the LGBT community. Uh, this community really don't know how to accept the reality. You know, we've been dealing with interracial relationships, but now we we truly don't know how to accept the fact on how do we identify interracial relationships. We don't know how to really identify with what it is to be black because. I'm a black educated man. My my parents are black educated parents and my siblings are black educated siblings, but my parents' siblings' uh, kids may be the normal, what society is saying is black educated or, or non-black educated. And so, you know, even and even in our own family, you know, we have those issues to where it's like, oh, y'all the goody goody ones, y'all the spoiled ones, y'all the rich folks. Yeah. We're not rich. It's just we choose not to do what you're doing or we choose not to do things a different way but we all have our own struggles and our own demons because we choose not to um let's just say if it's drinking and smoking we choose not to drink and smoke every weekend but guess what our demon may be we go to the boat every weekend and so it's still its own demon or our demon may be that you know we may not have heterosexual relationships. We may be in LGBT com communities. And so no matter what it is, it's it's a different world than what we live in compared to then. And the struggles that we had then are the are still the same struggles, but they're um, painted with a different brush. That's what I would like to see. That Everything that you just said, shout out to a different world, whoever's going to produce that. Do you that. produce it. You do got that. it. We can we can do a reality uh, different world show. I would say we just got to find some people. Hey, look, you're not gonna get paid right now, but but this is gonna be big. You know the people for Friday they got paid like five hundred bucks. That shit went huge. It's still the, a classic. Yeah, to the point where Friday 
the next Friday, he had to go back and he tried to pay everybody what they was worth because the first one got paid so well. They didn't, he didn't think it was going to do that well. Yeah. He was just a kid just, you know, hey, this is how it is in the hood on a Friday. Yeah. And it hit big. That's the reality of where we are. A lot of times we, um, as inventors... And I say the I say that word openly as an inventor, like you are you are doing something to where when you started this journey, you looked at podcasting and you was like, oh, man, I got to get this. I have to do that. But the unique thing is back in the day, radio truly started and radio started with some old mics on a stand or holding a mic. And it was just like, hey, I, I have a love for something. And once you think about it. Once you just share your love for something with people, it, it catch, it catch fire. Tyler Perry just had a love for entertaining and doing basic stuff. And his love for just doing those things built him now in Georgia, this mega million dollar uh, station or not just station, a uh, complex to where now it's like people are saying, oh, Tyler Perry think he's too good. He don't have to play Medea no more. No, I've done that for years. My love for entertaining you have given you Medea for years. But now this man has the Oval. Uh, what else? Uh, just bukus of shows yeah, out there. It's too many to name. It's too many to name. And then it's like spinoffs. The, and spin -offs. Browns. the Browns. Yeah. Uh, the Retirement House and yeah. stuff like that. <laughs> And so it's just show after show after show, uh, love thy neighbor and show it's show after show after show. I would say Tyler Perry is one of the people that he's bringing back black TV. But the necessarily thing is we can't put that pressure all on one person and we can't put that pressure all on his back. We have to do our parts in our community. We have to do our parts in our states and, and, and just give good content. Yeah, good. Okay, so with that, I'm glad that you were saying all that because that leads me into my next question. Do you think that marketers and everybody around it is the blame for black radio, black television, black podcasts, all that falling off? No, uh, our job is to market what's there. So as a marketer or as a um, as a business solution manager, like I can't go to a client and say, hey, this this is how to market you when I don't know what your product is. And so you got to have the product and you got to have the content. But, but once you find out what that product is, the fact that the marketers and like, and we're just talking like top, you know, like, um, like, let's just take, um, just a TV show, Cosby's, whatever, you know, they market that to what black people or whatever. And that was like a show that, hey, these are rich black people. They doing the right thing or whatever. So how did it get from the Cosby's to the wire? Who was the person that marketed that to us? Uh, it's really it's 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 self-interest. And, you know, the, the weird part is Cosby's wasn't an actual show that was fully marketed to the black community. It was really? just something that we fell into. So the Cosby's was necessarily something like the Jeffersons and the Cosby's was a show that was marketed to, you know, individuals that, hey, look, there are, you know, these are your neighbors that's moving in next door to you. Black people are moving and integrating into our neighborhoods. And so these are the black people that's moving into your neighborhoods. So it's more or less marketed as a show to make 
just being honest, white people feel better about, hey, instead of saying, oh, I'm moving and going to another neighborhood because the niggers are moving in next door to me. The Cosby show came out, you know, the Jeffersons moving uptown was a show to just let you know, hey, the black people that are moving in your neighborhood are, you know, they can be some up upstanding you know high class citizens that you can get to like because once you start thinking about those shows the jeffersons when you seen the jefferson show outside of him wheezy and their family you didn't see any other black people you didn't see big mom and them coming from the hood coming up to the jefferson's house for thanksgiving dinner or things of that nature his friends that was black was oh his wife had a black friend in a building who married a white guy and things of that nature. So it w- those shows were more shown to make them feel comfortable with us being in their interacting. That even those shows still show some racial bias, some racial tension, some conversations. I remember one episode on the Jeffersons to where their daughter was dating a white guy, the white guy from downstairs. And it was a argument between both of those families, the white family and the black family about, you know, something that was racially motivated in society at that time and them having to sit their daughter down and tell them, hey, just because we're in this world don't mean we're of their world. And so those shows, uh, to to go back to the initial, you know, it wasn't marketed towards us. We watched them. Mm. And so we fell into the trap of watching them. You know, Housewives and all of that stuff wasn't directly marketed towards us. It was one of our individuals started there. And they were in a circle of basketball wives. This was a show of old mob wives, all this stuff. This is a show of one of ours being in a setting with them Mm. and not not meaning it negative. One of us just being in the right place. And it became a spinoff show to where it's like, hey, I got angry on this show with my counterparts and a producer and not a marketer, a producer Mm. seeing different content that, oh, if I take Nene. And put her with five or six other ninis. What would this look like? And it's just, it's creativity. So it really starts with the producer and the creativity of the artist. And from there, the marketer can take the content and try to distribute it. Because honestly and truthfully, ratings on some of these black shows, a lot of black people don't even watch those shows. Once you really think about it. Mm. Stuff like uh, Housewives and all that stuff. Black, black America watches it. But is not the show for black Americans. Once you really think about like music videos and stuff like that, those aren't our influencers. Those are little Caucasian kids. That's their influence. Uh, Those little, I call them those vanilla ice kids. (laughs) Vanilla ice kids. It's it's, Those are influencers to them because honestly and truthfully, that doesn't influence us. TV doesn't influence us because we live it. The hood life don't influence us because guess what? All of us have an ain't like I grew up in a moderate suburban neighborhood. Same. But my aunties and uncles lived in the hood. And so it, it, we laugh about it now because it's certain words or terminologies that my family members use. And I'd be like, oh, I don't know what they mean. They'd be like, boy, you just green. But I do know certain lifestyles and I like I know what a spread is. Yeah, it's I mean, delicious. Yeah, and so it's like, you know, I know about necessarily in the in the summertime, in the hood, hey, when them streetlights come on, bro, like, y'all might want to get back on the step, get back on the stoop, and things of that nature. And so 
I don't, I don't have to watch TV. I don't have to go watch Boys in the Hood to experience what Boys in the Hood is about. Like, I've seen a dead body. I've seen people getting shot. I've seen uh, racial profiling firsthand. Uh, I've lived in that, not only living in the suburbs, but being in the summertime, going to the hood. And so I know about, you know, everybody sleeping in one room in the house because it's only a two-bedroom house. All the grandkids are, hey, you had auntie's house and... Sh- Y'all better go in there and make some cereal. I know about putting eggs in the microwave. So I don't have to watch <laughs> TV to live this life because the, the unique thing about uh, minority society is that no matter where we live, there's always somebody on the other side. So if we are the Jeffersons, we know about having to go back downtown or uptown to go visit Big Mama or our aunties and uncle and them. And so we see that life. Those TV shows are for those individuals who don't recognize that life or don't live in that life. So our Caucasian counterparts, our Caucasian friends, they they look at black life and that's how they see black life based on a producer showing it on the TV screen. So where does the marketer come into play with what goes on TV? Or what goes on a radio or even a podcast. They don't go on necessarily. uh, They don't come into play with saying what goes on. That goes back to the producer. Mm. The producer, the content writer, the show writers, the ghost writers, uh, those people. I tell people all the time, um, all of those people who you see them giving clout to at the end of a movie and those credits, those people are responsible for what you've seen on screen. The marketer is responsible for after they've done their job, my job is to get you to the movie theaters to show it. So my okay. job is necessarily to take a show like this after it's all recorded and done, take powerful statements, take powerful clips, take uh, shots, take those one liners that is like it's a power pack to make you move in action. I would even say a marketer's job is we just finished this election season. The marketers got paid great money to take. Long speeches of Biden, uh, Trump, of any other political candidate and take those long speeches and find that one statement to even in Obama when he came through. Out of everything he said, somebody took one phrase. Yes, we can. And they marketed that phrase to be his coin phrase. And that's what marketers do. We find something out of the content. So we are those people who we find a needle in the haystack. That will be thought provoking, that will be emotionally pulling, that will be uh, visual or eye catching to the masses. And we push that phrase. We push that image. Uh, you, We look at stuff like, hey, Trump used the statement, you know, I love black people. Black people support me. Um, so we his marketers found those few off pictures of him with black people or we stage photo ops. Uh, let's Ugh. put you beside Lil Wayne or let's put you beside uh, Steve Harvey. Steve Harvey is a prominent person in the minority community with radio and television. Let's do a photo op with you and Steve Harvey in Chicago in Trump Towers. How Just, much one of those go for? One of those stage ops? Um, it's, it's, it's really, it's the make or break of you. And so mm-hmm. for a marketer, those are those opportunities that this is make or break. How do we spend how do we show, how do we push this to either get us where we're going or lose where we're going? Well, I can tell you one thing. The people that did that photo op with Trump and Lil Wayne, they lost. 
Big time. Nobody likes no, that, bro. Lil Wayne lost big yeah, time. Lil Wayne did. <laughs> he lost time. his woman and everything. Shit. Okay, so dang, let's get to one last thing. Um, I do wanna go over like how to, like the numbers, engagement, um, and a little bit of how they hypnotize people over the radio by playing the same thing. How do all that stuff play in marketing? You know, going from numbers. When y'all look at numbers, how is a marketer looking at numbers? Because a marketer is looking at numbers from a whole different perspective where I'm looking at numbers. Mm -hmm. When I see 100 people, I say, damn. When y'all see 100 people, y'all might go, okay, this is 100 people that I can do this and this and this with and make it flip it. Flip 100 from this to this. So we look at that 100 uh, as 100 at... When you look at 100 people, you see it's 100 people. And so yeah. to the naked eye, 100 people is like, man, 100 people showed up today. 100 people was listening. That's cool. For a marketing person, we we break that down to demographics all the way down. So we break that 100 people down to um, if it's 100 people, what are the ages of those 100 people? What is what is the um, ethnicity of those hundred people? You know, are they black? Are they white? Uh, what age gap are they in? Are they in their twenties? Are they in their thirties? Um, then we start looking at, you know, what is the complexity of w what's their income level? Uh, what's their education level? Because if you have a hundred people, let's think of, um, you know, I hate to talk about politics, but when we say when we look at a hundred people, Trump can say I had a hundred people in my rally. Okay, so when we start looking at that and just really being honest, uh, the hundred people at Trump rally, uh, marketers again, I say we take clips and we take sound bites. I I, I watch this thing um, on Facebook. It's like a democratic thing that they uh, they'll do an interview with Trump supporters and be like, oh, all Trump supporters are just dumb redneck people that's back backwoods dating their sisters. And and when we really look at the demographics of Trump supporters. All Trump supporters aren't just dumb um, backwoods individuals. We got Trump supporters that are CEOs. We yeah. have Trump supporters that are are mid class uh, citizens, mid class individuals. We have Trump supporters that are uh, minorities, or you know, African Americans that make a certain amount every year. Yeah, uh, minorities that are within that eighty thousand plus category. Uh, when we look at it, and you know. Uh, I'm not saying Steve Harvey is a Trump fan, but like someone that's prominent like Steve Harvey could easily be considered a Trump fan if you didn't listen to his rhetoric because his status, his money, his where he is, you know, those are things that not saying I'm a Trump fan, but a Republican. Let me be different. There's a difference from Trump fans and Republicans, but those minorities who are saying they're Republicans, they believe in that those demographics on what the Republican Party stand for. Mm -hmm. So even as a marketer, we look at every those hundred people of people who believe in the demographics of what the content stand for. And so now that tells me, okay, so when we when we're looking at commercials, if we have a hundred people, fifty people are within their thirties. So those fifty people, I don't need to give those fifty people club commercials because they're not going to the club. Mm -hmm. Those fifty people are want to know about you know life insurance. They want to know so the commercials or the content that we need to give to them is something necessarily that's of substance that make them 
stay tuned in because it's not just the content of the show, but it's the things that are surrounding the show. If um, I have people that's in there uh, in the late teens, you know, a, a hip hop station that's geared towards, you know, the TikTok generation and things of that nature, I wouldn't play, you know, life insurance commercials to those individuals. They're not worried about life insurance. Yeah, they're all young and vibrant. They're and young and vibrant. <laughs> they're not worried about, you know, being gay and hey, when your muscles ache and stuff like that, take being gay or, you know, that's not th- that's not that demographic. And so as a marketer, we look at those things to how do we find sponsors? How do we find you know, how do we market to more people that's in that demographic? Yeah. Uh, if you're in a demographic to where you have young uh, single mothers that are listening to you and that's a that's a large demographic, then now this is where, again, the content writers and the producers start crafting and trying to put you in that box or you as an individual listen to the marketing team saying, hey, you have a hundred people that's all between the ages of nineteen and thirty listening to you, and so now you, as a producer or you as a show or the host, you start necessarily moving yourself to that box to where it's like these are the things that these people want to hear, yeah. and so to keep my hundred, I gotta continue to talk about these things. And so again, the marketer doesn't put you in the box. The marketer doesn't tell you what to say to the people we just we basically we read the results of what you've reached and what the content has reached oh i didn't even know that's real interesting (laughs) because i'm like okay they gotta look at numbers in a way different way that we look at numbers yeah but what is a one you got one minute on the clock what would you say to upcoming people that want to be marketers or anyone that would want to be in this industry what would you tell them I would tell them if you want to be a marketer, be creative. The unique thing about marketing is that the trends are ever changing. And so you have to be creative in the way that you produce them. It's almost like you're an attorney. Your attorney is either going to let you walk free or you're going to go to jail. And so being a marketer, you're either going to make your client a lot of money and they walk free, freely to do what it is they're doing and you you push what they're doing or you're going to put them in a slot to where you don't have a job and their content sucks. Damn. <laughs> that sucks. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, I mean, it's clear, it's clear cut to the point that it's like your job as a marketer, um, your job is to take a product like Ben Gay and make people say, oh, I, I want to buy it. I have to buy it. I need that. Like my bones are aching. Like you got to think of some creative content to make people take a product that's there and say they want it. I say Apple use creative marketing a lot. If you notice, Apple don't really use a lot of people in their marketing commercials. They use the product itself. I don't want the person to sell the product because now if the person mess up, you won't buy the product. But if I just strictly hold the product, I flipped the iPhone, I got the four or five different colors in the iPhone, or I got four or five tablets, and I'm showing you I'm selling a product, not Samuel Jackson. I'm selling a product, not uh, Lady Gaga. It's the Apple marketing team focus on the product. And with radio or with TV or black entertainment, we got to sell the product, not the people, the content. Yeah, I like that. I'm glad that we could leave off on that. 
Go ahead and give everybody your social media handles so they know where to catch you at. Ooh, it's a lot. No. Pick the uh, top three. Top three. Top three. three. Mm-hmm. Uh, everything uh, Instagram uh, from Facebook to Twitter is Capital One. That's Capital One spelled with a K. Capital One dot org. Uh, you can definitely find us there or you can find us at um, I'm Life, I M L I F E E uh, 2020. Um, on Instagram, Facebook, and also my partner just walked in. Uh, definitely follow her at Jules Comfort Keeper. That's Jules Comfort Keeper dot uh, US, right? So make sure that you go there, check us out, and that's what we got. Boom! And you also can catch me an hour with Crowder, all streaming platforms, all social media platforms except Instagram, which is Crowder underscore the with an A, not an E underscore Crowder. And we're out.